to the Fuelcraft Survival Podcast. This is your host for the ad space as well as the podcast following the ads. And this is Austin. So if this is your first time joining us for a Fuelcraft Podcast, thank you for your support. Thanks for being here. We look forward to bringing you into the We The Prepared community. And I'm gonna jump right into these sponsors that help make this content free for you guys. First up is Triarch Systems. So Triarch Systems, if you're not familiar, you should get familiar because they make really the best weapon systems that I've ever used. And I know Raul and his gang of trainers at the Fieldcraft Survival Tactical side of the house love them. And they use them like the machines that they're meant to be used like, and they always keep coming back for more. So head over to triarchsystems.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, and that'll save you 5% on your next build with Triarch Systems. Next up, our friends over at Kafaro. So friend of mine that works here, Kevin Estella, has a great relationship with Aaron Snyder and the gang at Kafaro. We were able to bridge that gap. And if you're not familiar with Kafaro, they make the premium backcountry gear. Uh, everything from packs to sleep systems to tents, uh, you name it, they've got it. And you'll find that it's the best in the industry. And just the, the experience that I've had with it, I won't be switching over to anything else anytime soon. So head over to kafaro.net and check out what they've got going on at Kafaro. So in this podcast, Kevin Estella and I, uh, we've been doing a, about a bi-weekly podcast for you guys. I'm talking about really all things survival. And we just recently accomplished and finished up a course called Breakout. And um, go on YouTube, check out. We've got a couple videos on there floating around about what it is. But it's really... Uh, a scenario-based training experience that lasts about five days for students to come in and they get to experience a scenario where they're kind of plunged into this scenario and they live this life uh, where they're in a simulated country and they have to accomplish a mission. And during this mission, us as the guardians train them in the skills needed to be able to accomplish their mission. So really awesome uh, course that Kevin Owens designed and, and put out and it really mimics his experience at Robin Sage, which is the culminating exercise for Green Braves when they graduate their Q course uh, to become a special forces soldier. So really interesting concept for a course. And I, I can tell you all the students loved it, but Kevin and I broke down um, all the lessons. Well, most of the lessons learned from a survival aspect in this course. And it was really interesting at the end of the class to get all the students perspective back. So we were able to talk to you guys in this podcast, one about the course and all the lessons learned. And more importantly, really the feedback that the students had on the course and the things that were learned. So here we go, guys, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fuel Craft Survival Podcast. Today, I'm your host. This is Austin. I'm sitting down with, again, my buddy Kevin Estella. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? I'm the co-host today. Co-host. Co-host riding shotgun. I don't know, man. It puts a lot of pressure on me to drive this conversation. It's Sorry, usually, this is an easy one, though, because is, we're yeah. talking about something that was so recent, and it's just burned into our memory, and that's <laughs> Breakout, which yeah. was perhaps the most fun I've had teaching in my entire teaching career wow. of indoor and outdoor training, like outrageous yeah. training. That's a bold statement, too. You've been doing this a long time. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. Uh, over two decades, right? Wow. Because I started teaching canoeing and kayaking in the late 90s, and then... I was teaching at the Wilderness Learning Center in the late 2000s, my company, uh, last decade, and now for Fieldcraft. And, and honestly, this type of immersive experience, I, I don't think you're going to find it anywhere. I, I know you're not going to find it anywhere. And from the after action that we were talking about before we got on here today, I know that experience is, is by far one of the strongest teachers, the best teachers. And that's what we're going to talk about you or talk about with you today. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, Dude, breakout was really impactful, I think, especially, I mean, it was impactful for me as an instructor, just mm -hmm. because it was a more condensed, we've done other long trainings, but the way we formulated breakout, the way it was planned and the instructors and just the way the course went, it was an impactful course for everybody involved. And there were a lot of lessons learned, um, even on our, our end as instructors, right? And it was just interesting because one of my favorite aspects of this training is like you said, one, the experience, but two, you're getting the value from people's people's own experience, right? So this is an overall experience that we had as a company and for the students, but there was an individual experience had by every student. 
and lessons learned for them. But I, it was just interesting to be in on, especially in the AAR where they talked about all the things that they learned because some of the things like that I even taught, some of the lessons that I taught weren't focused towards whatever the thing is that they brought up that they learned. Like an example was <clears throat> a couple of guys said, hey man, like the way that you structured this um, lesson, I learned a lot about the way I should structure a, a, a f or format a conversation for someone at work. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, obviously it wasn't like it was a leadership lesson or anything like that. And I'm not trying to say that like I'm a Jocko Willing of leaders or anything, but it, it was just interesting to hear that feedback because that tells me as an instructor that one, um, there's a few things I'm doing right. There's a few mm -hmm. things I can still learn, but also as a whole, the culture for our company and this course specifically is moving in the right direction because if you can get multiple lessons and multiple things learned from one experience, that's the way to do it. That's where you should be training and how you should be training. So, uh, it was really interesting to me to hear that perspective, uh, from the course. Yeah. And, and guys, I know that you're probably wondering like, okay, they're all speaking in very general terms. Uh, I haven't really figured out what this whole podcast is about. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty here and we can digest this course now because we've taught it. We really couldn't give away a lot of the secrets early on because that was a component of the of the course was dealing with the unknown, the uncertainty. So for anyone that sent me emails saying, hey, tell me about this, tell me about that. And if you got a, like a real snarky response, like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Or uh, you need to take the course to find out about it, you know, uh, that type of thing. It was for a reason. You know, we wanted the person that was willing to take a chance, a serious chance, investing a, a good amount of their money. I mean, it's it's a money. Money is a measure of your time and energy. And they were willing to invest that time and energy in us. And we were hopefully able to give that back to them. But let's let's talk about this course. Day one, they show up and I read them the release, which included lines such as uh, <laughs> being okay being in the proximity of gunfire, uh, being okay with being involved in high-speed vehicle maneuvers, the potential for a simulated interrogation. I mean, I'm reading through this and the assistant instructors that we had in the room, my buddy Jerry uh, was here. He said that he could visibly see the reactions on people's faces and in their hands, clenching of their fists at certain words. I mean, right there, you know, that was that was something that, that shocked a lot of people, but something that was a great takeaway, and here's your first lesson learned from Breakout, was that students showed up on Sunday assuming that the class was gonna be on Monday. And what do we do? Yep. immediately we said, all right, guys, go to the gym. We're doing the physical fitness assessment right now. Yep. And some people, here's a great lesson learned. Uh, one person in particular, we're not going to call anyone out. You'd have to be there to know who was in the class that did this. One person within 10 minutes of being here vomited during the physical assessment. <laughs> Later on, it was revealed. He said that he ate a lot of food prior thinking that he was going to start in the morning. Well, here's a great lesson. Don't eat to the point where you feel like you can't move in case you have to move, yep. right? If you go out with your friends, you go out to dinner and you're, you're going to the all you can eat buffet and you, you stuff yourself to the point of bursting, do you really want someone, if you ever had to grapple with someone to put all their weight on you, or would you want to run full speed? Or do you think you could would you even be capable? Of exactly. Doing it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is another reason, like don't go out and drink to the point where you can't, uh, you can't function, right? Mm. Do you really want to lose that clarity? So a great lesson learned from breakout day one, 10 minutes into the course, don't yeah. eat too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and I think also, and it, it's hard for us to relay this message on just over a podcast, but that <clears throat> always be ready for anything kind of mentality was kind of a hard lesson. I think on the student perspective when that happened, because they're like, Oh yeah, we're ready to kind of, you know, get some knowledge on and like we got our pen and paper out, but uh, do you have your gym clothes on? Cause not everybody showed up in things that attire that allowed them to move and, um, allowed them to, I don't know, be productive in multiple things. Right. And I, we didn't even ask anything very crazy physically. Right. It wasn't 15 minute workouts. It was a 15 minute workout to start the day and well, to start the night and, but not being prepared for it one mentally and two, uh, in your attire, that's a, you know, that's a hard thing to bounce back from because you can't just retry it. You're already in it. So that's the other half of that to me is, you know, not only am I prepared, um, physically through, you know, am I eating appropriately hydrated, those types of things, but am I mentally prepared and thinking forward enough to say, well, maybe I need to wear 
clothing. Like I'm, I'm wearing cowboy boots and blue jeans today. Like I, that's not mm -hmm. my normal attire. Everything else was just dirty from the class still. Yeah. So this is what I wore, but on a normal day, I'm trying to wear something that allows me to do all of the things that may be required of me in a day. And I try to have the correct mindset going into something that, Hey, this might be, you know, I'm just going in to learn and, and do this, but Hey, I might be required to do something physical as well. Yeah. The expression dress for success is often used in the business world, right? You want to make sure that your shirt is pressed. You don't have ketchup stains on it or anything like that, but dress for success doesn't have to be exclusive to the corporate world. It can apply to your view of yourself in a fight, right? Absolutely. If you're dressing for success, well, do you really want to wear flip-flops? Which by the way, one of the students showed up in flip-flops and yep. we thought he was going to quit <laughs> within 30 seconds. Yep. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the other thing is, is not only dress for success, but stage for success. One of the things, another lesson learned from breakout was don't yard sale your equipment at the end of the night and don't overpack your bags. Leave some wiggle room in your bags in case you have to do a loose stuffing of your bag with all your kit so you can get up off the ground and into a vehicle in less than 90 seconds. Yeah. Guys were go guys were moving at a snail's pace, and maybe it's because we woke them up at 3 or 2.30 or 2 o'clock and sometimes. <laughs> but even then, I mean, how much of your stuff do you need to lay out before you go to sleep, right? Maybe you leave your boots at the bottom of your bedroll. Maybe you have your sleeping bag out and you have your bedroll um, what what can you get away with packing in the warehouse? What can you get away with packing in your car? Like what takes up a lot of like physical movement to jam things into your sleeping bag? Yep. And what can you organize in the close confines of a back seat? Right? Absolutely, man. I mean, and Jerry went nuts on some people for moving slowly. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we kind of drilled that into everyone. And the whole idea with Breakout too, it looked like organized chaos if you were an outsider and if you weren't in there. But as the week went on, the different things that we've stressed became apparent. Like this is why we told you don't don't overpack your kit. What if you get separated from your bags? Maybe you want to break out uh, of your old routines, hence the name breakout. You break out of old routines, you adopt new ones that breed more success, right? Like mm -hmm. carry gear on your person so if you lose it, you know, you'll, you'll, you, if you lose your bag, you'll have stuff on your person. Yep. Um, and then they also started realizing, wow, maybe food is more of an emotional crutch, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's break out of the habit of three square meals, get in the habit of, of, of testing yourself, seeing what you can run on. Um, but I mean, so many lessons from that. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and that's a really good one as well, which you're just talking about with kind of putting your equipment in different places. I've always called that uh, layering your equipment. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't learn that until I was already in the military Yeah, and you need to layer things appropriately, not just your clothing specifically. Like I'm trying to go from, you know, being inside to being outside and weather appropriate. I mean, layering as in, well, I, you know, one, two is one, one is none mm -hmm. that adage. Right. So if I have a single piece of equipment, then I'm accepting that I'm okay if I didn't have that piece of equipment. And if I have two, then I'm accepting that I may only have one and it's redundancy in my equipment. So what I mean in long term, looking at that is, I need to have a little bit of that equipment in my backpack, a little bit of that equipment in all my person, a little bit of that equipment in my vehicle, and then some more of that equipment in my home. And for their um, situation in this class, they had a backpack and they had their person. So if I was to lose my backpack and well, that's the only place I had my fire starter and, and my fire steel. Well, maybe that's something you want to stow in your pocket as well as your backpack. Right? So that, that two is one, one is none kind of thing. So, it was just interesting to be able to see people's approach because I actually will be taking this information and kind of storing it for thinking about search and rescue because sure. I see people's habits all the time. And, and I would say that all the people that paid that price point to come to this course that were willing to show up and do this, they were actually probably a step above most people anyway already. So those are the types of people that I typically don't have a run in with in the back country. But if they're missing a few things, then it gives me a good lesson in my head of what I can help prepare everyone else for when we do these podcasts, when I interact with people in the back country and when I do my own content for my own Instagram or for the company's uh, Instagram or whatever, you know, so it's good lessons learned for us to just see the habits of how these people approached these problems. 
and where their shortcomings were going forward. Yeah, I'm looking through the after action report right now on my phone. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're going to keep private here in the company and among the students. But another thing that we can definitely mention here are the different stressors that were involved. And I asked the students during the, the breakout after action, I said, describe the stressors, right? We definitely had hunger. We provided students food, but definitely not the same number of calories per day, right? And also we also brought in the concept of food boredom. We gave them the same type of food over and over. We are so used to, we're so, we're, we're so easy to please by going to different restaurants or fast food yep. joints or whatever. When you're only able to eat one type of food, it, it wears on you, right? It's called food boredom. Well, another stressor, in addition to the uh, fatigue, right? Because we, <laughs> Nate, <laughs> Doc Jones is crazy when it comes <laughs> to uh, keeping people up at night. And his magic power is you put him in a shower for 30 minutes and he's wide awake for like another 24 hours. Um, he's like Aquaman <laughs> or something. Yeah, he kept saying, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good, man. I slept last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we had lack of food, or I should say food boredom. We had sleep. Um, another thing was, was that we messed with their schedule, right? Like in your daily, in your daily life, you have what's called a circadian rhythm, right? You have an idea of when you go to sleep, when you go to, uh, when you wake up, this is why jet lag is so very difficult to get over because you'll be traveling somewhere and you'll fall asleep at six o'clock at night when it feels like 10 o'clock where you are. Well, we would turn the lights on and off sporadically. We would do things to them. Another stressor that they had in addition to the things that we imparted were the stressors among the group, right? Yep. Which there were some natural leaders, right? Which is a, a great, great takeaway is that in a given group, you're going to have leaders. You're going to have natural leaders. You're going to have people who instead of leading, they're going to uh, divvy out the responsibility to lead or they'll use instead of what's called like an alpha command, they'll use a beta command, right? And what I mean by that is instead of saying, hey, um, do you think you would be able to do this? Instead of saying, do you think you would be able to say, you need to do that, yep. right? Be very affirmative with your commands. So another lesson learned was there were some people who have never taken a leadership role yep. and they were put into a leadership role. And that was something that was so powerful for them because maybe no one gave them that uh, that um, opportunity in the past, but now here we go, boom, you're the leader, yep. and people have to listen to you or the group fails. Yep. All right, guys, we're going to interrupt this podcast for just a second and talk to you about our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is one of the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverages that I've ever tried. I used it during this course breakout as a meal replacement when I had to be out there early with the students, so it really helped me a lot as having a healthy substitute aside from just grabbing fast food. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder and it's nutritionally essential. Uh, it is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today to empower towards a better habit that you could be using tomorrow. So they've offered us at Fuelcraft, our Fuelcraft Survival Podcast listeners, a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free trial packs with your first purchase. If you visit our link today, it's down in the show notes. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft and join the health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Back to the podcast. And especially, especially whenever you put them in charge of something that isn't their strong suit, right? Like we had some students that were, they're alumni of other, other courses. We had guys that were really strong in like land nav and even some of the, the tactical piece involved because they've taken our courses or they had a military background. But then when you take a guy that doesn't have that background and has never had to, you know, be put into a situation like that and you put him in charge of something that's not a strong suit for him, you know, that's where you start to see a little bit of that struggle and you see that like group dynamic start to flex. So it was really interesting um, seeing in something that I'm, I'm more familiar with is is also subordinate leadership. Right. So something we look at in the military is you have like your leadership is whoever's actually in charge. And then you have guys that are like your NCOs, your junior NCOs, guys that would be your subordinate leaders like, mm -hmm. you know, hey, I'm I'm an NCO and I have you know, 15, 20, 30 guys underneath me. Well, my job is to what we would always call wrangle the boys, you know, and it's like, well, they're, they're upset that the leader decided to do this. Well, let me get them back on task and maybe even interpret what the leader is saying for them to maybe better understand or put it into a lingo that is 
easier to digest for them. And it was interesting to see that dynamic and where people kind of struggled. But in those moments, one of the things that I really noticed, which we didn't even learn until later, was their why. And the why behind things is super important to me. I'm the guy that if I take a class with you and I'm learning something from you, I'm going to ask a million questions because I want to fully understand the why behind something. So when they were struggling, when they were pushed to their limits, their why is really what carried them through those difficult moments where maybe the team dynamic was a little bit stronger. Or maybe there were other external stresses from uh, being tired, being hungry, being exhausted, or they had a task that was just really difficult technically to do, and they had to really come together as a team. But that why is what I noticed kind of pushed them through. And another thing that was really interesting for me is at the end, I could almost tell you what their why was, you know, mm -hmm. and we had one guy that had never really taken any training uh, at all up until this point, And he was like, I have to be there. And you could see him grow every single day. And because he was taking in information and he was able to apply the why and the why for him was, look, I felt super unprepared for a lot of events that have happened in the world in the last year. And it's, it was a little scary to me and I don't want to ever be in a position where I don't know what to do, or I don't have a basic sense of direction on what I should be doing. And whenever he started getting that basic sense of direction in this course, you started noticing little pieces of the puzzle were coming together. And by the end, I could have, I, I knew that guy has probably been in a situation where he wasn't prepared. And now when he's given these, this information and given this knowledge to be better, he's becoming better. And it, it was just really interesting for me to see that. Yeah. And, and that guy, he actually provided some great feedback, by the way, we're still on Monday, Monday, yeah. <laughs> Monday, uh, <laughs> we, we did a lot of stuff here in the warehouse. And even though these guys are being stressed, they still provided us as instructors, great feedback saying, look, you have this beautiful simulator, $120,000 simulator. You've got all these great scenarios you can run through it. Wouldn't it be great in the future if you can combine the simulator with real role players that, you know, you're using Sims guns here, but then you're bringing in role players that you have to do med on. I was like, damn, that's a great idea. But now, Tuesday, <laughs> so yeah. we still got to get through all these days because there's learning points <laughs> for each day. Tuesday, rude wake up. I'm like, get in the van, get in the van. And we drive them from our location to Spanish Fork, which is roughly an hour away. They were so sleep deprived. One of them told me that he thought we were in the van for only 20 minutes, probably because he fell asleep in the van ride. Yeah. Um, but when we get to our location, uh, both Jerry and I are wearing the nods and I tell Jerry, I'm like, okay, bail out of the vehicle. You're going to take them across this Creek. And I had fished the Creek previously. So I knew that in one location in particular, it was no more than a foot deep. It was amazing to hear them talk about this afterwards. They swore that this Creek was waist deep. They were so terrified of it. Uh, <laughs> at one point I had made my way to the other side of the Creek and I'm waiting for them. And one of the guys thought it would be a good idea to throw his sleeping bag across the Creek instead of potentially drop it. He didn't realize he was throwing it right at me. So I had to block the damn thing. Um, and I saw these guys linked up like a, like barrel of monkeys, right? Crossing the Creek. And if one of them fell, the whole chain was going to go down. Yep. Um, but that, cold water taking off their boots crossing the creek in darkness jerry was the only one with the with the nods on uh crossing the creek in darkness and then going to the field where it's now three in the morning like 40 to 35 degrees which is such a dangerous temperature mm -hmm. now it's like all right you guys are going to get to here you got to have 33 percent security or 50 percent security so a few of them couldn't even decide who was going to be the first one to, to get watch um now they're stressed out they're cold they're tired they've got to sleep in the mud because it rained the night before and by the way, this is still not even 48 hours into the exercise. Yeah. Um, now, that field experience was amazing because some of them had never really slept just under the stars. And they didn't really get a lot of sleep because every two, two hours or maybe it was a, a half hour, I forgot what the interval was, they had to rotate. So they never really got full sleep. Yeah, never fell into like a rim cycle. Never, anything, right? Yeah. Which, which really messes with you. But um, now here's, here's a high point. Here's a great lesson learned. So uh, the next morning, Jerry and I, we go back down to the van and we bring them a deer leg. Uh, this is actually from a doe that I shot back in November with a crossbow. Uh, so I bring this deer leg and I'm like, guys, we found this on the road. And now Jerry had taken it out of the, the butcher's wrap and everything like that. We gave it to them and you would have thought that they won the lottery. <laughs> Here's a great lesson learned. And this comes from Kevin Owens. He says, hunger is great sauce. These guys told me, they're like, that was the best red meat I've ever had in my entire life. Oh my <laughs> God. And they they did not waste a damn thing. They 
they cooked it uh, with sticks over the fire. They even had a pot with them. They broke the bones and made bone broth, right? But it just goes to show you that sometimes food is emotional. Sometimes food is practical. Uh, In this case, getting something that resembled like a steak, oh my God, it put them on on, on cloud nine, Yep. right? Yeah, and another really interesting part about that, which we learned later at the AR, which we already knew from our own experiences, yeah. but <clears throat> they said, you know, that was a really important time for them as a as a unit because it really brought them together. Like shared food, man. Shared food is a huge part of building community, and especially whenever you share struggle uh, on top of that, it's just it created a part in their dynamic, which I think led to their success and a really integral part of them working as a team later on because later on there was a few stressors that were put in there to push a little bit of a divide between them, uh, which was very strategic on our part. But had they not been able to break bread early and build that sense of community amongst themselves, it probably would have pushed them apart. And, you know, it, it was just interesting to be able to see that dynamic. And at the end, everybody said that was one of the biggest parts for them in bringing them together. So that's an, another aspect that of, that of survival and community that people don't really um, take, into, take into account is, you know, just because these guys are my family members or these guys are my really close friends doesn't mean that in a survival situation that I'm just going to be, it's just going to be hunky dory because now I've taken away all the comforts. Mm-hmm. You know, now you don't have a nice warm house to sleep in. You're not sleeping on a comfortable bed. You're not eating your normal food. You're not doing all these things you're used to and don't have all your creature comforts. Well, that's when the fangs and the claws come out because you know, the, like you've been saying, you know, that, that factor of everything changing, it becomes tough on people and it becomes really tough on a group and it's easy without having some type of prior structure to fall apart, which in the military, I mean, there's an obvious structure to things and it's not allowed, you know, and and there's enough camaraderie there from Mm -hmm. other experiences to keep people together. This is a group of individuals that was put together less than 48 hours prior (laughs) and none of them knew each other prior to that. And so when you take that dynamic, it's easy for someone to be like, you know what, screw this, I'm out. But luckily there were enough of those points i don't say luckily for us or for the course i mean luckily for them they were able to tap into that because there's obviously tons of team building involved in this entire course but luckily they picked up on all of those and were able to benefit from them yeah and that's a lesson learned right there a a great practice that you can uh, incorporate in the communities that you guys uh, the listeners are involved in share some hardship sometime right there's a reason why a lot of colleges for freshman year experience they'll bring you to the inner city and they'll say hey you're going to clean up this old house or whatever right because it's a shared hardship it brings you together as a community but then also share food right i would recommend if you guys are looking for the ability to bring people together do something that's difficult together like go on a long hike but then go out and grab a good burger together talk about something that you and try to eat the same thing right eat the same wings shared food so you have that shared experience at the very end um it was very formulaic what we did to this this group of guys, but they didn't notice it at the time until we explained to them afterwards. This is why we did that. This is, and they're like, oh, my God. And it all came together. It was like revealing the all-powerful Oz at the end of the movie, right? Like, <laughs> you know, um, maybe Oz was, was, you know, Rob Parsons because he's a little guy. Um, but uh, it was it was really, really cool to see the, the group grow. So now that was... Tuesday in the field. We did other things, which you'll probably see in the the documentaries that we're putting together. Like there was uh, movement as a small unit. There was an observation exercise. There was all sorts of stuff. We had a spy with a GPS. Yep. We won't go there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know it, that was a, a great thing that we could not plan. It just worked yep. out in our favor. Yep. But then Wednesday, we take them up to uh, a property in Morgan, hour and a half, almost two hours away. Actually, it was two hours away. And we said, you're going to occupy an overwatch. You're going to have to get into this house. And then you're going to have to occupy an urban hide and then they had a moral dilemma which we're not going to reveal here um about do we do this or do we do that mm-hmm. but there was <laughs> we gave them better food in that yeah. house which yeah. involved canned foods that we took the labels off of um but to see people physically pass out mid-sentence and i took yeah. photos of every one of them which was <laughs> great uh, there's a lesson to be learned there sleep when you can yeah right Absolutely. Where's yeah. the weirdest place you ever fell asleep? Jeez, uh, I've fallen asleep in some really weird places. Some of my favorite weird places to fall asleep are in aircraft, like in C-130s, man. You can yeah. actually, 
um, when I would go TDY on different parts of the country, I would actually string up my Inu hammock from one mm-hmm. side of the aircraft to the other, and it just rocks you to freaking sleep. But when you're flying to like a place overseas or something, you got a bazillion people on the aircraft, and you got a ton of aircraft maintenance equipment and yeah. stuff in there. Dude, I fell asleep on top of a, a aircraft power generator uh, in the back of a plane, and like three, my face was three inches from the top of the plane. So I mean, super weird, super loud, but. It's weird. You can fall asleep anywhere when you're tired enough. Yeah, and you know, I've got a couple uh, law enforcement buddies who say that they've fallen asleep with their uh, knees locked out up against a wall, right? <laughs> and they're like, no problem. My personal yeah. weirdest place I think I've fallen asleep. Um, I mean, on the breakout class, I fell asleep with a two-by-four as a pillow on concrete. And my buddy Jerry <laughs> took a photo. He's like, I couldn't believe that you slept yeah. like that. But I've slept on a riverbank uh, in a pair of waders. This is the Oak Orchard in New York. And snowing out in waders cold covered in mud and i've got a photo of me with my neck all all cranked but i'm out cold um so the the lesson is sleep when you can because if you don't know when sleep is going to come and you have it available and you've got guys that are watching out for you and your gear and all that stuff take advantage of it you know um and obviously look for work agreed but if if you don't have to work and someone else is saying go sleep like we're going to share the responsibility sleep and prioritize sleep because if you don't you won't do it especially in a I don't want to be as dramatic to say a survival situation, but in a situation where, I mean, an emergent situation where, hey, I got to spend an unexpected night uh, out in the field or whatever it is, you got to prioritize sleep because if you don't prioritize it, you'll, you just won't do it. You'll find a hundred other things to do and to continue working to try to better your situation. But in reality, maybe you're setting yourself up for success for a few things, but if I'm not well rested and I don't have the cognition to actually execute on the things that I'm Mm -hmm. setting up, then I'm not really benefiting myself. So, um, it's really a good idea to find your one, your natural rhythm in sleep and what your rim cycles look like. And you can get kind of technical into that, but the more that you understand it, the better off you're going to be in a scenario where you're not getting as much because then you know how your body's going to react, what you can actually handle. And to me, that's one of the most valuable lessons of anything I've ever learned is what my body does under stress. And stress doesn't necessarily mean in some crazy survival situation. Mm -hmm. Stress just means Okay, I only got two hours of sleep last night. How do I function the next day? What are the things that I can do to improve how I function the next day if I don't get sleep? A lot of people just assume, oh, I only got two hours of sleep last night, cramming, studying for this thing, so I just pounded coffee this morning. Yeah, let's mask it with caffeine. Yeah, well, that's not always the best idea. Or what if you don't have caffeine? Mm -hmm. So find out what your body does under those types of stressful situations because of all, and I told this to all the students at the end, of all the skills I've ever learned, learning what my body does and how I think and what my cognition level is and how to bring all that back to myself and work under stress has been like the biggest benefit of anything I've ever had because that experience has taught me that. And it's not, that's an experience that you can get yourself without doing anything dangerous, without having to be involved in a course or having to be involved in the military or whatever. That's something that you can put on yourself. Yeah and learn from that experience. And I would say, here's another lesson learned from the course, check your dependencies. We did not give the students coffee. Nope. It was actually in the scenario that the people of the fictional land of Deseret were against caffeinated uh, hot drink, right? Which was coffee. Um, There was one point, and I'm gonna skip ahead, so just to give you an idea, Wednesday we did vehicle dynamics, we did uh, climbing over obstacles, we did nasal trumpets or nasal pharyngeals, right? We did a lot of stuff. I mean, we we could not talk about this, we cannot condense it all in one one podcast. (laughs) But on Thursday, we go to Petzl, right? We take them to the headquarters of the North America Petzl, and we give them a climbing experience where there were multiple stages. One, climb a wall. Two, climb a rope. Um, uh, no, climb a wall, rappel off a wall, climb a rope, climb a rope in a confined space, and then ultimately rappel off the 75-foot roof. Well, at Petzl, they had the... And thank you to all the Petzl guys. You guys were awesome. Uh, shout out yeah. to, to Steve. Absolutely. Uh, um, so at Petzl, they they laid out some drinks for our guys. They, they left lemonade. They gave them coffee. And it was funny because... A couple of the guys came up to me and they're like, hey, can we have the coffee in there? Like they had to ask permission. Like I was like a jailkeeper. <laughs> They've been indoctrinated. Uh, yeah, they were. Way, they you know? they were in the scenario. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, man. Well, they were under the impression that we doctored or we we drugged them because a couple <laughs> of them had the coffee and immediately ran into the bathroom and had the runs. 
it might have been the Tabasco sauce that I gifted them with the <laughs> night before, and they used almost the entire bottle. That yeah. was calculated, by the way, because yeah. I wanted them to have that in their stomach or in their system as their lactic, uh, what yeah. is it, lactic acid, or what's the stuff in their stomach? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, gastric. bile. bile. Yeah, bile, bile. I wanted that to be like churning as they're in Petzl at heights and everything. So sure enough, it worked. Two of them ran to the can, yeah. and they <laughs> they had a, a, a number seven on yeah. the Bristol stool chart. Go look it up. Yeah, look um, it up. You'll think you'll yeah. think Kevin later. Yeah, he you, changed my whole life with yeah, it. Yeah, so. you, you want number four um <laughs> but in, in a lot of that stuff isn't it's not just to be an asshole right there it's a calculated thing for them to there's a lesson in every damn near everything that we did out there and mm-hmm. whether it was on the micro of like the entire course or the macro of like an individual instructor that is instilling part of their experience into that lesson um, like that's something that I'm sure you have experienced in the past. Like maybe it was a bad call on your part on an overnight or a couple of days out in the field where, Oh, I'll just season this up a little bit. Well, now you're paying the price, right? Yeah. How about on a date, right? Oof. Let's say that you find the woman of your dreams, right? For the female listeners, the man of your dreams, it might be Austin Lester. Um, and you got a chance <laughs> to go on a date with this person. That's not the time to experiment with the hottest food possible no. or something that you're not used to, right? You go and you have the most mild thing because the last thing you want is the bubble guts, right? The itis. You're already going to have that from a date anyway. Guaranteed, right? So it was just the idea of, again, check your dependencies. Check check what you're... (laughs) Are you eating emotionally or are you eating logically, right? right? Think about that because if you have to perform, you can't pollute your system, bottom line. Right. Um, And and this is another... And I think something I gathered from the students was this was a really good t test and evaluation of their own abilities and where they stand with a lot of things. And that's the only way you learn it is by doing it. So some of these things are skills that you can watch a video and pick up 99 or 100% of the lesson. A lot of this is something that you need to do in phases where you educate yourself prior to, you go get an experience, and then you have that experience and you build upon those experiences every time you do it. So a lot of these lessons are things that you guys can take. Hey, I'm going camping with my family this weekend. I'm going camping by myself, whatever. I'm going to apply, hey, maybe tonight for this first night, I'm going to stay up until midnight and wake up at six and see how I feel tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm going to skip breakfast and go on a short hike and come back and see how I feel. And I guarantee you, if you've never done that, you're going to experience something different physically, and it's going to make you think about those things long term. I just put up a thing on my Instagram. I did a, an Ask Me Anything, and um, I had a lady ask me, "What's one of the biggest old oh, shit moments you've had in the woods?" Well, I've been fortunate to not have a whole lot of actual old oh, shit moments where it was like life or death. Yeah. But I have had a few moments of clarity where, you know, one was I had a lot of really small cuts on my hands. I didn't take the time to take care of those cuts. And day five and six, my hands were starting to swell from the debris and the dirt in my hands. And it was really painful. And by day like nine, 10, and 11 of a 12-day trip, my hands were starting to get infected to where I could hardly hold tools. I didn't even use my ax anymore because I actually felt unsafe using it because I just didn't have the grip strength from the pain and the swelling. So those little things like that are things that you can build off of those experiences. Did you see a lot of guys that week? Cause I know Jerry and Nate complained about it. There were guys, once they handed out one bandage, right? For like a little nick on the finger, yep. they had to hand out an entire box of bandages to everyone because it was an emotional bandage, right? Yep. Like, oh my God, I've got a cut on my finger. And it's like, it was barely a paper cut, mm-hmm. but that was another, that was another experience. Once guys got a, a feeling that someone was willing to take care of them, like they exploited it. Right. Absolutely. And so there's, there's a few lessons with that yeah. to me. One is, yeah, there's, there's times and, and I would always encourage everybody to clean everything and protect it and bandage it if you're in the field. But why it was different for them is because of the scenario that they were in, right? They were relying on the guardian's help, which was a group of of guys that were local that happened to be the instructors that were teaching them the skills that they needed to complete their mission. Mm -hmm. And part of that was these guardians were guys that, like I said, were local. They had families that were at risk for them helping. Well, in a scenario like that, I'm going to pick and choose the things very carefully that I'm going to ask for and request, right? So we gave them RFIs and RFSs, which is a military thing, which is a request for information and request for um, supplies. So they weren't super used to that format, but in that scenario, I don't want to just kind of willy nilly ask for 
hey, I, I saw John Doe got a bandage. You know, I had actually nicked my finger. Um, can I get a bandage too? And it's like, oh yeah, me three. Well, that might not be the best approach, right? So their approach may have been an RFS at the end of the day saying, hey, listen, we really could use a bandaging kit. So that way throughout the rest of our time we're with you, we can actually handle this on our own. Um, and it, that's a lesson that they, I think, picked up and learned over time because we would react appropriately to those types of things based on the scenario. So um, I don't want you to think that we're saying, no, don't do that. But it is in a, in a survival situation. It's I mean, you don't need to get your head wrapped around something as minuscule as just a bandage. You know, if if my goal is to get out of here and survive, that's what I need to be focusing on. And if I have the resources Sure, I'll, I'll do that if I'm thinking about longevity, but there's a balancing act to mm-hmm. all of these things, and you have to play the game a little bit, and that's where that experience level comes in. You know, Am I in some type of uh, scenario or in a real-life event where I'm relying on other people for my help? Well, I might not want to just throw it all out there and be asking for things all the time and be the needy one. I'm going to be calculated in how I ask for those things and when I ask for those things because they're relying on those supplies too. Right. And then, but if I'm by myself and I'm truly having to survive in a, an emergency scenario that became a survival situation, well, maybe I need to be resourceful. Do I need to use this bandage right now for this little thing or can I just adequately clean this, take care of it and preserve my equipment for something that may be worse later on? Yeah. And, and continuing with that idea of the scenario, uh, and planning for what's ahead. Here's a lesson learned. All the guys brought it up. Manage your expectations. We deliberately brought them to Petzl on Thursday, right? They finished at Petzl at about six o'clock and we told them, hey, we have to go back to the border. We drove them like an extra hour to get down to the property. And we said, when we get to the border, uh, you got to keep your heads down. So they didn't know which direction we were going. Yep. And then we said, we have to wait until after dark. And then we're in this weird corner where you go up over this hill and around the corner and the borders there will be picked up by Kevin Owens. So now these guys thought that the high point of the week was over. They thought yep. that Petzl was it. They repelled off of a 75 foot uh, building. They did a lot of stuff that they didn't think they were going to be able to do before. Like they were given these, these gift bags essentially by Petzl, <laughs> which we told them that we would give them after they got across the border, we give them the next morning. Um, so now they get to the border and I said, we have to wait until after dark. Now these guys are already planning to run across the border. I told them you have to ditch all your weapons. Cause we did have a one, one moment where one of them said, Oh yeah, if, if someone tries to stop me, I'm just going to stab them. We're like time out, right? Like we <laughs> yeah. have to take every, every weapon off of them. Cause it's generally a bad idea to have anything that can puncture, perforate, lacerate when you have blue guns or airsoft or whatever. So we said no live weapons, even if you consider it a tool, it's still a weapon. Get rid of it. Um, and now they're up on the border. Austin's driving by with Rob, and he's on the loudspeaker. This is the federal police. Rah, rah, rah. Uh, <laughs> they they are have the sound of a uh, barking dog. And then at one point, there's a drone. So now I tell the guys, I'm like, okay, you have to move to the border now. There's a drone. We got to move. We got to move. I gave them specific instructions to follow a road because originally wanted them to go up over a hill. But I, looking at that hill, it could have been very, very dangerous for them to run through trees that could have poked an eye out, right? They could have tripped over boulders and whatnot. So I was like, follow the road, take a dog leg here, you'll get to, to the border. Well, they just when they thought that they were safe, <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to give away any of this stuff, but I'll just tell you a few things. Uh, just when they thought that they were safe, they get rolled up by the Deseret Resistance Force, which yeah. involved Khan, the spider, um, Let's see. No, Khan wasn't there. Oh, the butcher. The butcher and Castro. Castro. Yeah. yeah. So these guys decide to fight a bunch of grown ass men, yeah. and they one of them got injured, which we feel really bad about. Um, but they all got rolled up. They all got flex cuffed. They all got blindfolded. They got brought back, and they were interrogated. Well, it was pretty powerful to see what happened that night, and then how the course wrapped up. We can't yep. give away that. No. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, we're going to interrupt the podcast one more time and talk to you about another sponsor, and that is Element. It's a drink mix that's taken over the world. You can get those valuable electrolytes back after fasting, working out. It'll help you fight the keto flu, those carb cravings, and kickstart your day in the morning to fight that mid-morning grogginess that we get. Element has zero sugar, zero artificial ingredients, and zero coloring. Many professional leagues and athletes from the NBA, NFL, as well as some uh, athletes from the USA weightlifting team uh, have all switched over to using Element and are loving it. Element is offering 
the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast listeners a special opportunity to try Element for free. Using our link down in the show notes, Element will send you sample pack that includes eight packets of assorted flavors. All you, all you pay is shipping, which is around five bucks or so here in the U.S. Don't miss this offer, guys. It's totally risk-free. And if you do end up buying some and changing your mind, you can return it, no questions asked. They're proud of their no BS customer service that you get with a lot of other organizations. But we've all tried Element here at the company, and we've been using it for a while. And I promise you guys, it's worth checking out. Back to the podcast. That's like amazing. one of the most powerful things. And this is all replicated from Robin Sears Sage. School and, yeah. and Robin Sage. From uh, Robin Sage is the culminating exercise that Green Berets have at the end of their training to really um, drive home the lessons they've learned throughout their time in training and to put them in this scenario where they live it out and play it out for a long time. Well, this was a very condensed version of like a Robin Sage mixed with Sear School. And if you're not familiar with what Sear School is, it's survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So uh, resistance is part of that, which is just essentially uh, the lessons that have been learned from wars fought previously by our country in the methods that are used to extract information from our from our own so these are lessons and and train the training is very realistic where you're treated like a prisoner of war um, or a hot and or a hostage and so these guys were put into those scenarios for them to be f familiarized with what it could be like to be rolled up in another country and have to be interrogated and questioned in a very um what's the way to put it um, very controlled, very controlled, yeah. but a very frank and kind of in your face environment. Yeah. And some people have never been talked to the way that these students were talked to. Right. Yeah. I mean, we generally have an expectation that people will treat us the way that we would want to treat people. Well, if you're a decent human being, you're not going to put, you're not going to be in bad breath range of a person where your noses are touching and someone is yelling so loud at you where they're essentially spitting on you. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, some people have never had a person get that mad at them. Um, so that's what we put them through. Yep. And then there's a grand reveal. We can't go into it. But another lesson learned was stick to what you've been taught, right? Trust yep. your training because uh, we gave the students plenty of information. They rehearsed together. They really worked as a team. And like, like Austin mentioned, they showed up 48 hours before they were thrust into the scenario, the complete strangers. But as the, the week went on, they started knowing little things about one another. They, they developed a cover story that was more than like one or two uh, questions of scrutiny, you know, uh, deep, totally. yeah. you know, and, uh, and they, they did okay. Um, but then the next morning, or I should say when the scenario was all over, they ate well. Some of them couldn't eat much at all because they were so used to eating <laughs> yeah. very little. Um, but then they, they passed out. And, and here's one of the big lessons learned. If you guys are really into your training, whether you train with us or you train elsewhere, be very careful after training. You're going to put yourself into a scenario where you're going to fall asleep potentially at the wheel. The yeah. reason why we kept them until noon the next day is because we wanted them to get a good night's rest before we let them go. It's so easy to try to jam in a weekend of training. Training ends on Sunday and you're like, well, I could either get a hotel room tonight, hundred bucks, or I could drive home, say eight hours away. Um, I'm just going to drive home. Well, hundred bucks or potentially risking your life, damaging your car, yeah. killing someone. You know what I mean? Like, cause once that adrenaline wears off from the learning experience yeah. and especially at the end of an exercise or a training experience, um, that adrenaline's high and you're feeling positive. You're feeling real reinforced because if it's a good training exercise, it's designed to reinforce you at the end. So you should be riding a high as you leave, but it falls off really quick. Um, once that kind of dies off. Yeah. So guys, I mean, we have a lot of lessons learned from from breakout. Um, I mean, one of the great lessons learned was take big chances if you want big rewards. Yep. Um, these guys all took really big chances because they they tried something that has never been done before. We haven't offered this course before. We've offered bug out on foot. We've done a couple other things, but this was one of those courses that really, really, um, you know, it brought out 
the best in every one of the students. And since this course, I've had an opportunity to to talk to the students in emails, and they're already planning on a reunion hike together. Like yep. these guys are going to be bonded through that hardship and through that difficulty uh, for the rest of their lives. So if you guys are looking to create those friendships, those hardships, push yourself with people that that uh, you know will bring the best out in you as well. Yeah, and and the biggest thing about training at home or with your friends and family is, and I, I try to say this, I try to make this kind of my caveat to all of our courses is we like to teach you what to do in preparation for things that could be bad. And we like to teach you what to do during the times that are bad and then how to recover and get back. Right? Well, I would never want you to actually go out and put yourself in a super difficult situation, right? So like if you want to go out and you want to learn and practice some land navigation with your family and friends and you want to spend a weekend out in the bush, you know, well do that, but do it somewhere familiar, do it somewhere, um, where you have a plan, do it somewhere where if there are mistakes made, the repercussions aren't life or limb or eyesight, right? So if I'm going to practice land nav, I want to do it in my local state park, somewhere close to the road, somewhere where I'm not actually going to get lost, where if maybe I make a wrong turn or I do something uh, or miss, miss do my steps or whatever, the ramifications aren't massive. I can still always have my bailout. And that's the best way to do it. And then as you become more confident in that skill and you become more and your ability grows, then you can start to apply it to bigger trips, right? Like I, I've had a couple guys come to land nav and they're like, man, this is great. This is going to help me out a ton on my, my next elk hunt where I'm going out to Montana and doing this. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. This is great info. This will help you a ton, but let's be honest. You're just in this weekend class. You're not getting enough reps to be proficient enough to just head out to the field and do this right away uh, for an extended amount of time. You need to get in those reps in a safe environment somewhere where, again, the ramifications aren't life, limb, or eyesight. So um, take lessons from this, take lessons from your own training courses and your own experiences, but practice them in a way that sets you up for success. Because, you know, everybody wants to say, I can, I can hike 30 miles and I can stay out in the woods for 10 or 15 days at a time. But being honest with yourself and having a little humility when it comes to training, is one of the most difficult things. And I, I'm as guilty as anybody. Like I'm, you know, I'm alone and unafraid anywhere I go. Right. And it's like, I could, I could stay out here for forever and I could do this. And you know, maybe I could, maybe I couldn't, but I have to be real with myself and I have to really dial that in, especially even for search and rescue. You know, mm -hmm. if I go out on a call and somebody's just another 500 meters, but that 500 meters is, you know, I've been riding out in the dark on a snow machine or whatever it is. Oh, I can get to them. I can do that. Well, but what is that doing to the rest of my team? Is it putting them at jeopardy? Is it maybe um, instilling something in that, you know, subject that's out there that I'm trying to get that I'm crossing over dangerous terrain that I shouldn't be doing? You know, I have to think about the long term of that. And even if the long term is only the next hour where this guy's out on the ground, I have to be smart because I got to be able to come back. I got to come home. I got to get all my team home. I got to get my equipment home. So I have to be very strategic in the way that I approach every situation. And with search and rescue, it could potentially be life or limb. Most of the times it's not. Most of the times it's just someone's turned around and they got to get brought back. But it could be very quickly. And that's what I want you guys to understand that even in a training environment, you know, something like this course with breakout, there were so many um, things in play that the students didn't even realize that we had put in place to keep them safe, to keep them kind of corralled into the right locations and all those things. And, you know, in a training course, you can expect that, but you're not going to have those luxuries whenever you train on your own. So find ways to keep it safe and keep yourself in that training environment without there being huge ramifications. It's kind of a good segue that you brought up search and rescue because we've been talking about something that was essentially fictional. I mean, we, we made up a fictional land, a scenario, mm -hmm. we put students in it, but we were just talking before this podcast about something that actually happened here, not far from where we ran this scenario in diamond Creek, yep. um, about a real life scenario where, uh, there was a female, she was just found this weekend. She had gone missing in, was it November? Yeah, uh, December. December. So now you think about that, guys, right? December, uh, January, February, March, April. So at least four months, possibly longer. And she was found alive. She had, uh, from all the accounts that we were reading, she had some uh, mental disorder, some, some mental issues. But she survived for that long on some supplies. But then she was also eating grass and moss. 
And yeah. when the search and rescue professionals were interviewed online, they said, normally when we are called to one of these and we open up the tent, we expect to find a body. And it was a woman who was in obviously a, a weakened state because she was outside for so long, but she was alive. Um, so now if that doesn't give you, I mean, a, a moment of pause to say, how the hell, like, there's actually a quote online right now. And they said, um, this woman had lost a significant amount of weight and was weak, but she was apparently also resourceful, uh, which is a statement to, you know, I mean, mental issues or whatever could have been going on or not. You know, that's pretty impressive, especially in the winter months in Utah, to be able to pull through on just what little bit of supplies she had in a in a really thin tent that she was staying in. I mean, it was it's a pretty unique situation. Uh, it definitely um, drives me to want to learn some more information about it. I'm sure more will unfold as we, uh, you know, as the rest of the week goes on because she was just found. But uh, it's it's an interesting scenario to be in, and I mean, she put herself in that scenario, and we don't know why yet, but. It was actually the only reason she got found is they had the drone. Uh, the search and rescue team had a drone out. Uh, the drone, I believe, had some kind of malfunction and crashed. Well, when they were walking up to the drone to recover the drone, they actually walked up on a tent. Jeez. And as they, they noticed that the tent looked kind of old and they were like, what's going on? And as they were walking by, uh, someone opened the zipper and sure enough, it was her. So they weren't actually looking for her. No, they had been flying the drone and I think they were still searching. They had a, a grid. I'm sure they had some type of a grid that they had been searching actively. And yeah, it just happened that the drone crashed like right next to her tent. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. Either lucky or unlucky for her based off probably who you ask, but well, guys, I mean, here, here's the thing. Uh, you've got real life examples. You've got examples that can be found in training. Um, I would recommend that you guys always pressure test yourself. Always push yourself a little bit further than you think you can go because you'll learn something about your character. Yeah. Um, we've actually got a lot of really cool training courses coming up. And this is kind of like my shameless plug for all of them, but I am looking forward to being like the assistant instructor, but more like a student as these guests are coming in. Yeah. Um, Starting in, let's see, well, we got the mobility experience. Mike, yep. Mikey Hernandez is coming up for yep. that. That's a whole weekend. Yep. Um, Mike Lowe, who's a, he was on the show alone. He's a, uh, like an 80s era SEER instructor. He's coming to teach a friction fire workshop and then an austere survival, which is like all cold weather, wet weather, stuff like that. He's coming in in July. Um, Bob Berg, who runs Thunderbird Adelaide, he's coming to do a full primitive workshop. So if you guys have ever wanted to go to the woods and learn how to take down animals with nothing more than a pocket knife that you make your gear with, he's going to show you how to do that. Yep. Um, also got, uh, I'm talking to with Corey Hawk right now, yep. who's another guy who was on a loan. He's a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, another guy real big into the primitive survival, but uh, he's really well known for building longbows. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's something that's potentially in the works is a, a couple courses with him, maybe even an experience where you get to come over the course of a couple of days and build your own longbow, which would be really cool. It's a, yeah. It kind of ties it with the Adelaide, you know. And we got we got an ongoing thing with Craig Caudill. Uh, Craig is a good friend of mine. He uh, appears on the back cover of my book. Uh, he and I are are longtime friends. Uh, Craig is a legitimate tracker, right? So you hear people throw the term around all the time, like, "Oh, I'm a tracker. I'm a tracker." Well, Craig is a is contracted by the Department of Justice to be a tracker. He knows more about tracking uh, than just about anyone I know. And he does stuff that's straight up wizardry. So he's yeah. going to be here uh, repeatedly throughout the throughout the year. And then also on the East Coast, look for those tracking courses on the Fieldcraft page. And also look for the content because we're, uh, we're filming with him ongoing. Yeah, and so we're also going to be doing a lot more here locally. We're continuing to ramp up uh, at HQ. We're doing, you know, seminars, Wednesday night seminars. Uh, we're doing some Saturday seminars with some big guests. Um, uh, Mike has some contact with some guys that are old, um, special forces guys. They were, you know, had really, really unique, um, really unique careers, uh, within special operations. So be looking for those. Um, I'm going to be teaching a ton more med stuff here coming up. Um, we're working on, or actually we have our first, um, two day land nav coming up soon that we'll be doing. Uh, where it's going to be a day in the classroom learning the academics and then we'll go to the field to the same uh, land where we've been training and go out and do some hands-on practical 
application for land navigation. So you'll be able to get that little bit more of an experience. So tons of great courses coming up and I'm just really excited one to teach them, but two to be able to really like, it's really unique how much the community has been coming into these events and it's crazy. I mean, it, Oh, and the simulator, that's another one, you know, the simulator's up and running now and we're going to start running. Uh, we actually, if you go on the internet right now on our website, fieldcraftsurvival.com, you can actually sign up for a 30 minute block of training in with the simulator where you get to come in run a few scenarios, maybe a few, um, a few scenarios. And then there's a few, um, uh, like skills drills in there as well that we can put you through. Uh, so, so all good stuff. Yeah. Up. So if you, if you guys are visiting Salt Lake city or park city and you're like, Hey, Fieldcraft is right down the road and you can't sign up for a course, but you just want like a little bit of something from us, come try the simulator. And early on, as we build out that program, you guys, you know, as well as I do that it's not just going to be 30 minutes. Uh, most, most likely if there's no one there, we'll probably give you a little extra, right? Like that's the, 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 the special sauce that we'll, we'll throw on the top of that. Um, but guys, there's so much stuff going on right now. Um, I highly recommend that you guys always look to do a lessons learned or an after action report in any of the training that you do. And when someone goes to a course, whether it's one of ours or someone else's, don't ask the cookie cutter question. Well, Hey, how was the course? Right? Cause someone would be like, Oh, it was good. Well, I, good tells me nothing about that course. Ask them, what did you learn? Yeah. Because what did you learn is going to be more valuable than the qualitative statement of, oh, it was good, bad, oh, it was badass. Well, a lot of things are badass, Yeah. right? So ask someone what they learned. That's that's the moral of today's story. Yeah, totally, man. So guys, appreciate you tuning in. And again, Kevin and I are going to keep doing these uh, survival talks and lessons learned. And uh, we've got a few special ones planned upcoming about some really special particular survival skills that you guys can apply and learn from. So uh, we will catch you guys on the next one. Have a good one.